0: Verses 18 to 28, and it's on page 1114 in the Church Bible. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. But he, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cenchrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Achilla. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined, but as he left, he promised, "I will come back if it is God's will." Then he sailed for Ephesus from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Achilla heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate. Proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ.
1: One way of making an interesting um, travel documentary or tour holiday these days is to do it in the footsteps of somebody famous. A few years back, the BBC did a series in the footsteps of Alexander the Great, tracing his 20,000 mile campaign across 16 countries, in Greece. The Holy Land, Egypt, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and India. The latest adventure holiday to be advertised by on-the-go tours. You can also travel in the footsteps of that famous explorer, Tintin. (laughs) Well, during these past few weeks, we've been traveling in the footsteps of uh, Paul the Apostle. And uh, as we've uh, followed his uh, second missionary journey... Um, Which now comes back full circle to where he uh, started from, Antioch, Um, from where he he launches his third missionary journey. I do hope you've uh, found it um, as uh, interesting as I have, seeing how these churches that are probably quite familiar to us from reading the the epistles uh, were actually first set up uh, by Paul and his team. We've been through Galatia, uh, to Philippi, to Thessalonica, and last week we were in Corinth. And this evening we see Paul arrive in Ephesus. And in the process of seeing Paul through his travels, we've seen the power of the gospel. And hopefully that has given us a confidence uh, to proclaim it, despite our own uh, maybe weaknesses or insecurities. Uh, We've seen Paul's passion to proclaim it, uh, to reason and persuade people to accept the truth of it. And we've also seen how Paul and his team have been led by the Spirit in those journeys. How he was prevented the first time from going to Ephesus, but this time the door is opened for him to go. The soon what we're going to be focusing on more particularly is on how Paul strengthens the disciples. We you know from Paul's letter how he continually prays for the churches he has established. And um, if you want to help in your own prayer life, you can do no worse than to turn to, to Paul's prayers and use them as your own as you pray for churches. In his second letter to the Thessalonians he writes, we constantly pray for you. And in his letter to the Philippians he writes, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. But He doesn't just pray for them, he also goes and visits them and through his ministry he strengthens them. I if you like just to turn back with me to chapter 15, where we started our series. And at the end of chapter 15, um, there was Paul and Barnabas going their separate ways. And Paul going with Silas through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We're told how Paul recruited Timothy. And as they travel around, we're told in verse 5 of um, chapter 16 that the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily. In Numbers. As we turn back to chapter 18 in our passage this evening, chapter, in verse 23, there we're told that as Paul went back to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, was to strengthen all the disciples. And so, what we're we'll be looking at this evening is how can we strengthen and be strengthened by uh, others? And why is that important for us today? Well, the first thing we can uh, note is how we can. Strengthen and be strengthened is by accepting that we are all learners. It's interesting, the word Christian is um, only actually used about three times in the Bible, Um, whereas the word disciple is used nearly 300 times. And whilst both words would imply a relationship with Jesus Christ, disciple implies much more that relationship of pupil to teacher. In his book, um, The Radical Disciple, which uh, you'll find on the the bookshelves, I think it's probably one of our uh, top ten on the the website as well, Um, John Stott, this is actually the last book he uh, wrote, I think, bemoans the loss of the word disciple because, uh, as he says, it emphasises the word disciple, the fact that we are under the instruction, under the discipline of our teacher and Lord Jesus Christ. And it's emphasising the fact that we are all learners and we remain learners throughout our lifetime. And like this picture, I think, coming up of somebody who's just passed their driving test and feels they now know it all and can tear up the L plates. And certainly congratulations to Tom Baker who has probably done that as well this week having passed his test. Despite some cussing up somebody in a roundabout, he tells me. So well done, Tom. Uh, you know, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we will always be learners. We won't be able to tear up those learner plates. The reason why John Stock calls his book The Radical Disciple is not because we're meant to be some sort of religious extremist. No, it's to do with the origin of the word radical. I um, don't know whether any of you linguists here this evening will know uh, where that word radical comes from. Anybody want to um, shout out? I'm sure somebody will know from the Latin. Sorry, Thelma? Roots. Yes, the Latin radix means root, um, and that's what he's trying to emphasise. And Jesus himself demonstrated that when he told the parable of the uh, the sower, describing the seeds falling on different soils, and uh, one of those fell on a rock on rocky soil, um, and the reason it withered and died was because, as he said, it had no root. It didn't root down. To become more deep rooted, we first need to learn from God's word. Last week, um, in verse 11 of chapter 18, we saw how Paul was um, encouraged by the Lord to keep on speaking, because the Lord said, I have many people in this city, many people, as uh, Nigel explained to us, who have not yet heard the gospel, not yet responded in faith. But it then carried on, so Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Having come to faith, Paul remained to strengthen them in their faith. Look what happens after Paul returns to Antioch in um, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately that he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in a synagogue. And when Priscilla and Achilla heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now to be a learned man, as he's described to, with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, would have meant he was a very well-respected person. And for Priscilla and Achilla, who were tent makers, who'd only been with Paul for a short while, to say to someone like that, excuse me, Paulus, but... I don't think you maybe fully grasped what makes the kingdom of Christ complete. Do you mind if we had a little chat with you about it? It would have required a lot of courage, wouldn't it, in many ways? It's a bit like when I was on a mission once um, uh, with Rico Tite, setting up the mission. who 's known to some of you, he's a well-known evangelist, goes around the country, and other countries are, um, evangelizing, telling people about Jesus. And um, Must have given the same talks um, time after time, and and it uh, just seemed like he was rushing to get through the same way you do sometimes when you tell a joke you know half the people there have heard the joke already and um, you just want to sort of get through to the end knowing some people are thinking when's he going to finish and I had the audacity to say to him you know Rika I think you might just want to slow down a little bit um, some of the impact of what he is saying gets a little bit lost um, who was I to say that to him um, as of as they have I got that sussed at all and David very humbly as Rico would, yeah, I think you're right actually, and people have, uh, keep telling me that. Um, so thanks for for reminding me. Um, now that was to do with delivery rather than content, but Apollos here very humbly accepted the invitation to be taught by this in many ways unimpressive couple. Because he knew he still needed to learn. We are all disciples and we are all learners. And once we think we have arrived, then there's nothing left to, and there's nothing left to learn then we've got a bit of a problem because that displays uh, an arrogance. Um, and there is that's something quite enjoyable, isn't it, about watching somebody who, who is quite arrogant come a bit of a cropper. For those Apprentice fans, they will have uh, maybe watched um, Helen having won nine out of nine tasks, <coughs> obviously thinking there's nothing going to stop me Come a real cropper in the tenth one and nearly get fired by, by Lord Sugar. Now I know many of you will be thinking well I know yes disciple means learner and I know we're all learners, we're all pupils um, let's just let's move on to the next point but saying you are a learner and acting like you know you are a learner are two different things, aren't they? Um, and it's often the small things that we maybe display a sense of we know it all um, maybe just to skip your personal Bible study because you think well you know I know the Bible so well I've read it so many times there's nothing new I can get out of this passage. Maybe to see a training course advertised and to think, well, that would be useful for others, but um, you know I don't need to go on these courses anymore. Uh, to miss church, to miss a sermon, doesn't really matter. Um, or maybe when somebody challenges you with something about um, something you've said or, or your behavior, that you feel defensive and uh, don't like being rebuked we can all be strengthened by, as disciples, by accepting that we are all learners. Well, secondly, we can um, be strengthened by encouraging each other to endure suffering for Jesus' sake. Let's just turn back again to um, an earlier chapter, Acts chapter fourteen, verse twenty-one. This is Paul's uh, first missionary journey. And it says there in verse 21 of chapter 14 They preached the good news in that city That city being Derbe And won a large number of disciples (coughs) Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch Strengthening the disciples And encouraging them to remain true to the faith We must go through many hardships To enter the kingdom of God They said there's a clear link there between being strengthened and encouraged to remain true to the faith and enduring hardship. And in this book, John Stott says that we, we often avoid radical discipleship, deep-rooted discipleship by being selective, choosing areas in which commitment suits us and staying away from the areas where it might be a little bit harder or costly. And he highlights eight areas of discipleship which are often neglected and uh, which he says deserve to be taken seriously. If you want to read about this, you pick up the book. But um, let me just um, give you um, one of those here, which is nonconformity. Nonconformity with the world around us. Now, it doesn't matter what stage in history we live, if we are disciples of Jesus, then we should be different from the world around us. The world, we're told, is in spiritual darkness, whereas we are in the light. And Jesus tells us that we're meant to be salt and light to the world, shining light, spiritual truth into the darkness, seasoning, preserving society from decay. That would mean different things to, at different times and in different places. For the Christians in the different places that Paul visited, it often meant persecution for their faith and so to strengthen them would be to encourage them to stand firm in the faith to remain faithful to Christ despite that persecution and I mentioned um, just uh, earlier that um, a friend of his was a pastor behind the Iron Curtain who um, was an inspiration to him because he said well don't just pray for us poor people suffering under communism the devil is attacking us in a different way but we realise the devil is attacking you in the west just as much but in a different way freedom in the west has not just led to moral disintegration it's led to many other things, it's led to a loss of respect for those in authority it's led to an anything goes type of approach to truth a sense that if you think it's okay then, then go for it It's so people feel free to decide what they think God should be like rather than how he's revealed himself to us. And all this makes it hard for somebody to hold on to Christian moral values as well as the Christian sense of absolute truth that comes from God. And the question probably every Christian will ask themselves at some point is, well, why am I making life so hard for myself by, by standing up for Christ, by being a Christian in this world? What's the point? Why don't I just go along with everybody else and have an easier life? how do we encourage each other when we're going through that, that, that sense of doubt? One thing is to give each other a vision and a sense of purpose for what we're about as Christians. Because if we have no vision, then it makes no sense. The reason why somebody who's not particularly athletic will put themselves through some sort of sponsored endurance test um, Shane Paddy's not here this evening but I could have mentioned his cycling of the, how many kilometres he did not saying he's not athletic but um, it's because have a vision for the work for which they're trying to raise money it's driving them to do something which they find hard and tough what is our vision as Christians? first it's to enter the kingdom of God as it's said in that verse from chapter 14 um, Paul said we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So we need a vision of the glory of being part of the kingdom. The glory that awaits us after our, what is described as momentary troubles in this life, come to an end. Also, the knowledge that in our suffering, we're becoming more like Christ. In one of the chapters in this book uh, that John Stott writes, it's um, uh, actually a transcript of the last public address that he gave. um, uh, It was in 2007 at the Keswick Conference. at the age of 86. And he was trying to answer the question, what is God's purpose for his people? And the answer he came up with in that talk was, God wants his people to become like Christ. For Christ's likeness, he says, is the will of God for the people of God. And three texts he refers to, while you, you probably know them, Romans 8, 29, where it says God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his Son. That image that was partially lost during the fall being restored in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, the, the ongoing uh, transformation into the likeness of Christ, where it says we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's an ongoing work of the Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Christ. We were looking yesterday in the leaders' retreat at the work of the Spirit. And um, that work is to make us more like Jesus Christ. And the other passage he mentioned was 1 John 3 in terms of the future likeness. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And that is the goal, that is the vision for us as Christians. That is what keeps us going. That when Christ appears again we will be like him. And so God wants us to cooperate with him as he makes us like Christ. So it's having a vision for our own lives, but it's having a vision for God's kingdom and the part we can play in growing that kingdom and bringing others into that kingdom. Which brings us on to our third point, which is by encouraging each other with how God is achieving his plans. The thing is with um, God's <coughs> bigger plans is that without a limited minds we, we can't see how all the bits and pieces fit together. We have such a a limited vision, so it's important to encourage each other to to look wider. In here, the first sermon we did on this series, we we learned how Paul and his team tried to to go to Asia, uh, which is where Ephesus was. And uh, we were told they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in that province. Now, we don't know exactly what that meant, how they were kept from doing so, but clearly Paul realised that it made no sense to go and do something which the Spirit was telling him was not right thing to do at that time. And that is one of the hardest things about Christian leadership, as we were discussing yesterday, discerning the Spirit, because to proclaim the Gospel is clearly something that God wants us to do. And that is in accordance with the general will of God. But it wasn't in accordance with the specific will of God for Paul and his team at that time. And yet they accepted that God knew what he was doing and so they moved on and went somewhere else. Instead of going to Ephesus, Paul followed the Spirit's call to Europe and went to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Athens, to Corinth. That's not a bad thing to do instead of going to Ephesus, is it, really, when you think about it? And then we're told that after he stayed in Corinth, for some time he left the brothers and sailed for Syria. In verse 19 of our passage in chapter 18 they arrived finally at Ephesus. Now he doesn't stay there long. We don't know why exactly he was keen to get back to Antioch. But he tells them, I will come back if it's God's will. And one of the amazing things about studying Paul's missionary journeys has been a way in which he keeps in step with the Spirit. He also mm-hmm. knows that He's not the only one through whom the Spirit can work. Probably a bit annoying for people in Ephesus to wait so long to come and he just treats them as a bit of a stopover en route back to Antioch. But God leaves Priscilla and killer there. May not be as impressive as Paul but two trusted servants of the Lord. And then what should happen? But Apollos arrives and preaches the word and establishes the church for some reason God didn't want Paul to be the one to establish that church in Ephesus but he had other people he wanted to use it's only later when Apollos then moves on to Corinth and Paul comes back to Ephesus and stays there for two years that um, he uh, grows the church there Paul had a huge vision for God's work, he was continually looking for where God wanted him to be used next now, in many ways, God Paul was unique. We can't compare ourselves with Paul. But in other ways, we should be asking God the same questions. God, where do you want to use me? What can I do for you? What are the gifts you want me to use? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should be moving on every couple of years like Paul did. But even in the place where God has placed us, what is it that you want me to be doing right at this time? Should I stay doing what I'm doing? Should I be doing something new? What's the passion that you're giving me? To do to serve you? How can I contribute to the bigger vision of your kingdom? And there are a couple of things I think we can take from this. The first of those is don't just give up when doors seem to be shut to you. Because it's easy just to give up and say, well, I tried, but it um, didn't work. Obviously, that's not what God wanted. i will just put my feet up now. But Paul shows us here that there's always something to do, we can try other doors. Paul arrived at Ephesus, I don't know how many years after he first tried to go there. But he didn't just hang around until the time was right. He went off and did other things. This is particularly a challenge for you young guys here. I mean, it's very easy to think that, um, well, one's got to show me precisely what he wants me to do. Then I'll get on with it. But until then, I'll I'll just sort of um, be in a bit of limbo. Let me encourage you to get stuck in and see how you can be used by God get Stuck into the church, become church members, get involved in discussions about the life of the church, get that experience that will stand you in good stead for the future. I think it also can be tempting, can't it, to, be, to give up when we tell our friends about Jesus. You know, we tell somebody, there's no response, there's that blank expression, um, mm-hmm. just no sense of connection. And again, it doesn't mean that God is not going to open that door with that person in the future. We still need to pray for them. But we can still share the gospel with others just because that particular person is not open. It doesn't mean there won't be others open. Remember what uh, we looked at last week. God said, I have many people in this city. In other words, go <coughs> show them. I will show you them. They want to know the gospel. Speak to others about your faith. And the other point is, take an interest in God's wider work. Don't limit yourself to where you're operating, to your local church. But think nationally, think internationally. It's so easy to get engrossed in the life of this church that we are blind to what is going on down the street, let alone in in another country. Go to Christian conferences, go to to festivals and uh, share with others how you are being blessed in your church and hear how they are being blessed in, in their churches. And when you do hear those blessings don't they, uh, succumb to the temptation to feel jealous of uh, the fact that uh, maybe they've uh, found a youth work and we haven't or many other things that uh, God will be blessing because if we have a kingdom picture then we will be encouraged by that. We'll be excited about that. When I went on a big church day out I, I, I think I misunderstood the, the, the meaning of that, that, that word big church day out. I assumed it was a, a big day out for people in the church I think what it was getting at was it was a day out for the big church the wider church, God's universal church Christians coming together take an interest in the wider church, take an interest in other parts of the country in other parts of the world Um, it's interesting hearing from Alan his uh, involvement with a church in in, um, East Germany Um, his group was going out to Romania shortly and uh, very excited about that. Simon and John Paul had just come back from Swaziland. and were hugely encouraged by God's work in that particular country. Imagine how these young (coughs) churches would have felt as Paul came to them and said, guess what's going on in Corinth? Guess what's going on in Philippi? Or Thessalonica? You know, you guys are not on your own. You're having a hard time here, but there's exciting things going on all around you. as I finish, to be um, part of God's kingdom, I hope you all see is an amazing privilege and it's an exciting thing it can be easy at times to feel discouraged and that is why we need continued encouragement, continued strengthening we will always have something more to learn about Jesus something for him to just uh, warm our hearts, to, to give us excitement To make us follow him more closely. We're always growing more like him. And don't lose the vision. Don't lose the vision of becoming more like Christ. Don't make your vision be too small. Look at what is going on around you and further afield.